Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. If you are wondering where Tara Walker's been this year so far, yes, she's back today with a brand new series, Back to Basics, and today we're concentrating on eggs. So if you can't boil an egg, make sure to stay with us on Late Lunch this afternoon. We have sport as well. I will be catching up with Barbara Scully, an update on her diabetes and more besides. But first today, well done to Sally Harding in this week's Mead Chronicle. She has an extensive extensive feature on the lack of childcare in Dunshocklin and its impact on families. And I'll tell you when I read it, it really had an impact on me. And two of those featured in uh, the Chronicle this week, and you should get it and read it, it's fantastic, uh, are joining me on the line now. Hugh O'Reilly is with us and Brendan Cusack. Gentlemen, you're welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking our calls. If I could start with you, Brendan, first. Brendan, you might tell Late Lunch listeners uh, about your situation and how your day unfolds. What time are you up at? Um, so generally, I would get up before 5.30 in the morning and I would have to wake my daughter, who's just turned 18 months. Uh, so I have to wake her up and basically I have all my bags and everything prepped from the night before because the time is so tight. Uh, so we'll get our bags and we'll get in the car and we'll generally leave the house at 20 past six and head for the Street Parkway, which is a big train station car park. And uh, we'll aim to go for the train that goes at 10 to 7. Uh, so it, it takes about 40 minutes on the train to head into town. So um, I have to bring Ella in on the morning uh, it's the first train that's going in, but like over the last couple of months, it's been increasingly getting busier and busier and busier, like all the trains are. And um, we have no option but to do this because uh, there is no availability of crashes in uh, Dunshockland for children under two. Uh, Ella is currently, uh, she won't be in crash in Dunshockland until July 2021. So there was over a two-year waiting list to get a baby uh, childcare. And we did look at options for, um, you know, having nannies or uh, people to look after at home. But no one was able to actually mind Ella for the hours that myself and my wife work. Uh, I work a 58-hour a week and I spend up to about 22 hours a week on top of that traveling in and out of work. That's about four and a half hours a day. Um, So I take Ella in on the train in the morning and 
very busy train. Uh, I'd always be praying to God that Ella would be either go to sleep on the train or have not 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 be feeling unwell because if she gets upset in the train, uh, everyone like you just get this feeling that everyone's staring at you on the train because it's like a commuter train for workers. And here I am bringing a baby into the city centre on the train because I've absolutely no other option. Um, so we get into the Docklands and then I have to walk maybe about 20 minutes then from there, uh, depending on the weather as well. It could be raining or anything. So I have to push Ella and the buggy to the crash and uh, drop her off around 10 past eight and then head on to work myself. Um, so when I, I go in, I don't finish my work till nearly six o'clock and the peak hour trains are uh, way too busy. Like, grown adults can barely get in the train. I've actually seen people stop from getting on the train. Um, so the, the three trains, it's half, half five, uh, five to six, and half six are impossible. So my wife changed her working hours to uh, finish from around half four so she could get Ella in the train for five, even though it's a very busy train as well. So they'll generally get home at about 10, 20 past six in the evening, and then myself, I would probably get in the door around 20 past seven, half seven. And if I'm lucky, Ella might be just going up the stairs to bed. Like, I, sometimes I don't even see her, like, you know. That is life for one working family in Dunshockland, folks, in County Meath, in Ireland, in 2020. Do you call it a life, Brendan, Monday um, to Friday? No, um, it's just non-stop like we have no time when, I, when we get in the door and Ella goes to bed it's straight into cleaning all our bottles getting everything ready for the next day packing our bags getting lunches ready dinner ready uh, have our clothes ready to go in the morning and by the time you have that done it's time to go to bed and then your alarm goes off at half five and I do it again and I do that seven days a week and then on my days say I wouldn't even call them my days off but the days I'm not working uh, if it's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I still have to get up at half five, put Ella on a train and bring her into town if she has to go to crash that day. Otherwise, I will keep her at home, but I'm paying for a crash and she's not going in and the cost of childcare is crazy. It's like paying two mortgages. It's crippling enough. If you had childcare available in Dunshockton, would life be different? Absolutely. It would be a complete change because I wouldn't be going in waking Ella at half five in the morning that would open the option to, for me to take a later train in or, you know, find a different means for me because it's just myself heading into work. So we wouldn't be relying on having to go on an early train because it's the only one that has space on it. Um, it would just it'd be a completely different type of lifestyle. Like, I, I just, I, I, can't, I can't even think about it because it's it's not there. It's not a reality. There's, there's no childcare. And I'm not the only person. Like, this is going across all of need. We checked Rat Hort, we checked um, Dumboing, we went up to Clonee, uh, Rob Blanche, and a lot of crashes aren't taken under twos because the crashes themselves are getting hammered through insurance, their staff leaving, they get they don't get paid enough, like there's, that there's loads of other things going on. Like all the crashes are going striking on the 5th of February because of the situation the government has put them in, which is horrendous. I feel so sorry for them because these people work so hard as well. Well, I can tell you this. I feel so sorry for you and your wife, Katrina, and especially your little girl, Ella, 18 months old. And when I read this to, uh, article in The Chronicle by Sally Harding, 
I just thought, is this what we've come to? Is this what this yeah. country is about? Brendan, just stay there a moment because waiting patiently and listening to your story is another man living in Dunshockland and featured as well in the Chronicle, Hugh O'Reilly. Afternoon, Hugh. Good afternoon, Jerry, and thanks for having us on. Not at all. I'm only too delighted to further highlight this. What's your situation? Tell us your story. So, um, I suppose my story or the story, the story of my family has some similarities to Brendan, although maybe not as uh, as extreme. Um, we we live, we've got a, a toddler a year and a half old. Uh, we live in Dunshockland also, and like Brendan, we uh, checked all the local childminders and creches to try and uh, find a space for for a little boy uh, in the area. We have uh, we have him on on a waiting list since September 2018 with the crashes in in the village here. We've recently found out that it'll be at least summer 2021 if we get a place with them. So it'll be at least a, a three year wait. Um, we, I suppose, we think that there's a there's a crash that 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 is due to be built in Dunshockland, and we want to we want to push for that to be built as soon as possible. Um, my wife is a, a school teacher um, in Clondalkin, and she has to go to Leagueslip to bring our, our our boy to a childminder in Leagueslip, which is 25 minutes away, and it's 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 uh, off her route from to go to to go to school to teach in the morning. But um, it just it it puts pressure on us and our family because we have a toddler in the car for 50 minutes every day. Um, when it should it shouldn't it shouldn't be that long. It's it's not easy for my wife Sinead, and it's not easy for for the little boy either. Um, but we just uh, we just have to have to have to do it because there's no there's no other options in the area. Um, I mean, I think we all see on the news that there is an issue with um, with crashes with insurance. Um, crashes are finding it hard to to make any money. They're finding it hard to keep staff, to pay staff, um, to stay open. So even if there is a new crash built in Dunshockland, which we hope there will be soon, um, it's a case of who's going to run it and who wants to run it because as things stand, uh, other crashes don't want to expand. They don't want to take on a, a new business because they're already uh, they're already at breaking point, and if they have to invest. In a new in a new business, they don't know if it's going to be profitable. So um, I suppose from from our story and from the story of a lot of other similar fa- families in the area, we just I think we need we need action on on, on the crash and the child minding uh, issue. Um, I think we need the, the government to do something drastic to help childcare providers. Um, they've. It seems to me like they've kind of uh, they've been sleepwalking into this into this problem. It's been getting worse for years. Before Christmas, there was a lot of people worried that their crash wasn't going to be open after Christmas. Like parents shouldn't have to worry like that. Um, I suppose we 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 also want to call on developers who are building housing estates and who are who, who are in in the industry to. To build childcare facilities um, to to help with this issue, and um, we call on, on on local politicians and county councillors to 
to make sure that this happens also to to help communities to have amenities like childcare, which which are which are necessary for an area. I hear what you're saying. I hope they hear it as well. But I just want to just focus on this again. Dunshockland to Leakslip. Are you listening, folks, for childcare? And you are so right, Hugh, in what you say. And I was talking about this myself in the context of Drogheda as well recently, and it equally applies to the commuter belt. You're going to have houses going up there, and you have hundreds more houses coming on stream. And no childcare facilities, no other facilities going in there into communities where it's badly needed. And this is just horrendous. Build, 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 and... Damn the consequences for families like yourselves and stories that we're hearing today. Imagine pulling a child, folks, out of bed at half past five in the morning. It's a disgrace, a total disgrace. Brendan, back to you. You you hear there what Hugh is calling for. Is that the answer? Will that solve it? Um, Yeah, I totally agree with uh, what Hugh was saying. Like, it just totally sleepwalked into this. And now it's right there on the doorstep and some of them are still like burying their heads in the sand about it. Um, the childcare across the whole country really needs it needs government help. Uh, there's only one insurance provider for them. So like that needs to be sorted out and uh, paying conditions for the staff to like keep them in a job. They play such a vital role. Like the, these kids are our future generation. These people will be working here looking after us and they're getting hammered already. It's not fair. And you are decent guys, yourselves and your wives, and I can only understand you have mortgages to pay, you have a home to keep, you have the childcare to pay for, your transport, and you are trying to do your best, the decent thing. Did you ever think at times that you'd be better off not trying at all and just sitting back and letting the state look after you? Um, I I always worked hard my whole life, so like I just this is just in me to always be working, and you know I like going to work, and I like to be able to provide for my family. But like it it, it doesn't excuse that this, this the the mess that um, this uh, situation is with childcare in this country. You know, it's such a it's a, and it's, it's not a complicated thing for the politicians or councillors etc mm. to sort out. Like, you know, it's, they can fix this and they need to fix this. Everything can be fixed, Brendan. This is the, this is the thing. With leadership, with vision, looking deeper than at the surface. And when somebody's building houses, as Hugh said a moment ago, there must be, there must be the equivalent facilities. We're, we're talking about childcare today to look after the children of, of the future. That's an absolute no-brainer. You, look, I was being a bit facetious in what I said there to Brendan. You understand, because I know you're, and the majority of people in this country, the vast majority, they want jobs, they want to work, they want their own place, they want a family. But at times you must despair, Hugh. Yes, uh, there are are times you you would despair. Um, You're asking, would you, you know, consider giving up your your, your job and, and that sort of thing? It is something that families do consider, and often, um, I suppose, the cost of childcare does make the decision for some some families or some young mothers, especially or, or fathers, to to give up their work to stay at home and look after their children. Sometimes it's what they want to do, um, which is great, and then sometimes they do it out of necessity because they realise if they have, for example, two or three children, then it's pointless to be. Um, 
it's pointless to be to be working and not making any making any money or making any profit. Uh, you could stay at home and mind your two two or three children, and uh, and you'd be better off than than if you were actually out working a, a full week and paying for childcare. Um, I think the reason for this um, is due to the um, excessively high payouts that the courts are giving for mm. injury claims. Yeah. Um, that is probably due to, again, I think government inaction into set, setting caps or setting high ceilings for, for payouts. So uh, some people try to blame the insurance companies but uh, it's a free market, and if if the insurance companies were making so much money, then there'd be loads of providers out there. Uh, unfortunately, there's not. There's fewer and fewer providers for the for the, the yes. childcare industry. And mm. um, the creches are finding it hard to um, to make to make ends meet. Yes, staff, and they can char- they can only charge so much as well. So I think it's time for drastic action in terms of change in the system of, of how how the courts deal with uh, with injury claims basically and how, how the the people can uh, get excessive payouts for, for yeah. relatively small injuries. Yes, I hear, I hear what you're saying and that of course is another aspect to this issue. Gentlemen, I have to leave it there today. I, I'm, I'm so glad you joined us on the show to widen this debate and bring it to more people. Uh, thank you for joining me on the show and I'm sure this is an issue that is coming up on the doorsteps as people canvass over the next couple of weeks and will be a big issue as the year moves on with a new government. But for the moment, Hugh O'Reilly and Brendan Cusick, thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Anne says, Jerry, you're dead right. It's the same everywhere. Houses being built by the new time now and absolutely no facilities. Jerry, listening to uh, the uh, dads there on childcare, kiddies go to school at four. Surely parents can wait to work for this short time and enjoy their babies, paying huge childcare and transport costs. They wouldn't have them. Firms should also make it easier for workers with flexible hours. And that comes in from another, Jerry. Uh, if childcare is so expensive, says Barry and Rada today, and workers get paid so little, where does all the money go? Is it to do with the insurance claims? Is it something else? Good question, Barry. Louise, your heart would just break for those people. Oh, wouldn't absolutely. It? Half five in the morning to go and wake a child. It's, it's not, not life. Right. It is not a no, life. They haven't got a life. There is no life. And they're though. probably thinking, oh, this is only going to last a short few years. But they shouldn't have to do that. Not and what if at they wanted all. to have another child? Well, they can't. I, I didn't mention it there. One of the couples have absolutely decided they can't. How could they? It's the guy, Brendan, who's mm. taking the child up at 5.30 in the morning. How could you have that's, another child? That's just disgraceful. And I, it's so hard for so many people out there, Jerry. Look, I've and, commuted in my life. I've commuted mm. into Dublin. And, and I know what commutes. I've commuted by train. I've had a car and commuted as well. And I've worked near home for the majority of my life, thank God. It is unbelievable to work, to live near to where you work. It's just worth its, it's weight in gold. Yeah. You know, it really is. Uh, you know, and I, I want to say again, I want to repeat this again, and I mentioned it earlier in the week in the context of Drogheda here and when I was on Virgin TV. What the commuter belt needs, and we're talking about Dunshockland and me today and that is, and the likes of Drogheda, what we need are jobs here. We don't need thousands and thousands of people clogging the roads, clogging trains every day. We need to have a policy that we get jobs out here and that people can work nearer to the homes. Do you agree? 
Oh, I do, absolutely. But even for people working here, Jerry, the creches have waiting lists because the ratio of, te- of I think it's, say, one, per- one teacher for, per every two babies or something like mm. that, which is adding costs on to them as well. I mean, thank God, I was, I'm so, so lucky with my childminder, but yes. there are other people. If, if I didn't find her, I wouldn't be here because I did, you know, it was, it was, it was really, really, I looked everywhere and it wasn't. Yes. And I, thankfully, I found her. Okay, so what we're saying is childcare facilities, when you're talking about all these new houses Anywhere. going up, these They're scarce. are basic requirements at the mm. start of life childcare. Then you move on to uh, sport and recreational facilities, things to do in the community, investment in that as well. This is not rocket science. It's a bit of vision. It's planning. This is what it all comes down to. And I often wonder at times, are the people who are elected to political office absolutely stupid? Or do they care? Or do they not understand? Because you would despair at times. You really would. Oh, we are lacking. We are lacking across the board quality in life, in political life, in representation, in leadership. It's so sadly lacking. And it's something that has to happen and needs to change sooner rather than later. Up next on Late Lunch, can you boil an egg? Well, if you stay with us after two, you'll be more than able to boil them. You'll be able to scramble them, make omelettes from them, poach them. Tara Walker, coming next. Yes, we're back at East Coast Cookery School for the new year and the new decade with Tara Walker. And this year we bring you a new series. A lot of people, you know, find it difficult to cook. Even the basics of cooking are most difficult for an awful lot of people. So Tara has decided, along with ourselves, to go Back to basics this year. And today we start with eggs. Yes, Jerry. So I suppose like eggs are such a staple for so many people. So high in protein, so fast. A great way, um, like not just for breakfast, but a quick supper, a quick lunch. You know, we would go through, you know, loads of eggs in our house every week. So we're going to do a boiled egg. We're going to do scrambled egg. We're going to do a little omelette and we're going to do a poached egg. Now, let me ask you first about the eggs. And you have beautiful eggs, a bowl of beautiful eggs here. Talk to me about eggs and what eggs you buy and what eggs you like, because you have organic eggs right through to the basic egg. Yeah, well, I'm very lucky in that we have an egg vending machine on the Ballamac County Road, just up the road from us here. So I just go up there. It's three euros for 12 eggs, which is great value for money for the quality. And I just bought these this morning after I dropped my daughter to school. And uh, we're going to do the egg test. So I have a bowl of water here and I'm going to drop one of the eggs in. And look, it went straight down to the bottom on its side, which means it's really fresh. So if it floats, it's a little bit older. So the freshness just gives us that lovely flavour then. Okay, so let's begin with the basic boiled egg. So for me, this is how I do my boiled eggs. We have an egg going into a pot, two or three eggs if you want, and I just cover it in water. Cold water from the tap. Yeah, for me, it's cold water. And what I do is I bring it up to the boil... And as soon as it comes to the boil, I hit the little uh, stopwatch on my phone for three minutes and then I take it off. And I actually always have my little egg cup and everything ready so that the minute I take it out of the pot, I have it ready to open. And will that give you a soft egg? Yes, but the white will be set. Okay, and then if you're somebody who doesn't like a soft egg, what's the drill? Leave it longer? If you want a really hard-boiled egg, say if you want to actually make, you know, a hard-boiled egg maybe for a salad or something, I usually leave it another minute and a half. 
it's not as precise then if you're like cooling it down and um, you're going to, you know, take the shell off. Try not to leave it too long, even for that, because they can go a little bit black. The yolks can go black, which doesn't look nice in a solid. So that's the reason if you just leave them rattling away there forever, that blackness is because of that. Yeah. And also if you don't cool them. So if I was doing this for an egg mayonnaise or whatever, as soon as my five minutes is up, four and a half, five minutes, I put them under cold water. I just run the cold tap on them and I shell them straight away then. Okay, and that stops the cooking process. With the residue of heat, they'll continue to cook. Exactly, exactly. So that's why I cool them down straight away. So Jerry, you can see the whole surface of the water is now full of bubbles. A good way to know is the water almost looks a little bit white because it's moving around so much. So then you know to set your stopwatch started then. Seconds to go to three minutes on the stopwatch. I'm glaring at it here. This is like a moment of tension in some kind of a game or whatever. Yeah, so now look, we've got the three minutes there now. Taking my egg out, just let the water drain off for a second into the egg cup. And then I like to just open it straight away so that it doesn't keep cooking. Isn't that a lovely sound? Oh, look at that. Look at that. It's absolutely perfect. If you want to see a perfect egg, this is an absolutely perfect soft-boiled egg. I can tell you, just looking at it here, the white is set perfectly. And look at that runny, runny centre of the egg. Yes, Tara, let's get a photo of that and we'll uh, put it up across social media today on LMFM. And you can see Tara's worked on magic with the googie egg. And you know what I loved? You know when you were opening it there, yeah. that sound of the knock on the yeah, shell. Yeah, absolutely. Nice little crunch. And just in the morning time, you know, you're hungry, about to start the day. It's such a nice treat, isn't it? It's gorgeous, so it is. And look at the colour of that yolk as well. Really, really rich. It's a deep, rich orange colour. Those eggs are beautiful on Ballamackenny Road there from the machine. Have you something? Oh, she's the and toast yes, done and all. Jerry has requested for the listeners some... Uh, soldiers, so I have some lovely McCluskey's Cottage Brown soldiers on the go here to dip in, my favourite. Ah, uh, do you know something? She's too good to me. I did mention it earlier on and she surprised me there. The soldiers are ready and we're just going to taste this. And, and, and all you put on it, you, you put a little bit of cracked black pepper, is it? A little bit of black pepper and a little pinch of nice coarse sea salt as well. Lovely. Nothing, nothing nicer. And, you know, when you think about it, any time of day, people think of this maybe breakfast time. Now, here we go. We have to just Dip the soldier into this fella here. Oh, look at that. Just look at that. Look at that dipping the soldier in. And the eggy on top of the bread. The eggy bread. Oh, is this just not heaven? Heaven on earth. Mmm. Tara, that's just, forgive the pun, cracking. It's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's gorgeous. Such a nice way to start the day. And I actually love a good coarse brown bread like this because it releases its energy slowly. So it's a great start to the day. The boiled egg has plenty of protein in it. The brown bread, as I said, you know, releases its energy slowly. So it should keep you going to lunchtime on a busy day. Let's move on. So there you have it. Boiled egg. Simple, simple and absolutely beautiful. Now, I know this for a fact. Many people say... They struggle to poach an egg. Yes, I know. And there are lots of different techniques and like swirling the water, etc. But this is my technique and this I've been doing for years and it works really well for me. And actually it works really well for both, you know, just a nice breakfast egg or for if you're maybe doing like a, um, you know, eggs benedict or something a little bit more sort of, you know, fancy, I suppose. But for the most basic poached egg, what I like to do, I have a pot of water just coming up to the boil here. 
and a fairly good sized pot you know give yourself plenty of space and over here I've broken one of the eggs into a little shallow bowl like a ramekin or something like that and you can see these eggs are so lovely and fresh because the white is still quite it's not solid but you know it's all holding together it's not spreading out and what I do is once my water is pretty much at the boil it's just about to come to the boil there it's not quite boiling so I'm holding my bowl very close to the surface of the water as you can see so I've got my hand kind of in the pot but over the water and then I'm just sliding my egg in and I'm just going to sit it there now I'm not going to boil ferociously like I did with the boiled egg I'm just going to let it at a very very gentle simmer sit there and then I have lined up a little bit of kitchen towel on a plate so that I can drain the egg that's one of my bugbears you know if you go to a hotel and you get poached eggs for your breakfast in the morning or a cafe if there's all water running all over the plate they haven't drained it properly and another good thing about this technique is you can actually reheat the poached egg so if you wanted to do poached eggs I don't know for a nice brunch for some family or special occasion you can make this a little bit ahead of time maybe five or six eggs in one go leave them all on the paper draining like this sit them into the fridge uh, and then you can just slide them back into some hot water for a moment or two before you serve them. Interesting. There you are. So yeah. reheating them is... Yeah, that's what a lot of hotels and, you know, busy restaurants, would. that's how that you get that lovely poached egg that's perfect. I will tell listeners that I'm looking at the egg in the pot here. And as Tara said, the water was on the point of bubbles. It's not bubbling at all at the moment still. It's still sort of nearly coming to the boil, the water. You slip that egg in. Well, you've done millions of them in your lifetime. So you could just see the professional way you did that there. <laughs> it just slid into the water and it holds its shape completely. The white now is, you know, it was clear white going in. You can see it now. It's white, white, the colour and the egg cooking there away. How long will you leave it in the pot for? Yeah, so I basically just, I just really check it by sight. I suppose I haven't timed it now. I must do that someday. I just basically watch that the white is completely solid. And then I lift it out carefully with a slotted spoon onto the paper. And if I thought that it was still undercooked, well, then I just slide it back mm. in. It's no problem. Terrific. So there you are. It's the, it's the trained eye. But you'll get to know yourself there. But I'm looking at that now. And the white seems to be cooked all round. And the little cover of white over the yolk itself is white there. And the water now just starting to produce a little bit of white froth exactly so i'm going to turn it off now because i don't want it actually boiling because it'll just ruin the shape of my egg the white will get all kind of thin and sort of stringy and dispersed i've turned the heat off there just not to get it up to a boil and just let it sit there in the hot water poaching and how long will you leave that for now the heat is off yeah the heat is off but the water is still very very Mm. hot so i'll probably only leave it another 30 seconds to a minute okay the whole thing is probably sort of three to four minutes i'd say i was going to say that because that's what i feel i better look at my timer on the recorder here look 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 yeah and we started (laughs) off talking about uh, the the whole process so you're right about three minutes a little over three minutes yeah exactly it does also depend obviously on the size of your eggs as well a little bit so these are medium medium eggs i would say a large one just would need that extra minute or maybe 30 seconds and i'm just lifting it out now onto I have two sheets of kitchen paper there and then I have one sheet going on top so what I'm just looking to do there is soak up all the excess moisture so that your plate isn't just covered in in water and I love serving this personally you were saying you love wilted spinach and hollandaise sauce that's gorgeous eggs florentine that's called what I love is avocado and we featured them on the show before great northern larders um, chilli sauce it's absolutely gorgeous that's my little weekend treat <laughs> lovely 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 and you know I, I will say I'm here looking at this and I just understand what you said a few moments ago because when you lifted it after giving it say the minute extra in the water you can just see the difference in the white 
Exactly. So the white, you can see when I touch it, my mm. finger comes away totally mm. clean. Whereas when it was still a little bit underdone, there was a little bit stuck to my finger. But you can see the yolk is still nice and soft, which is the goal. And then what I do is I just carefully flip it onto my spoon and onto the plate. And would you like a little bit of the Great Northern Ardour chilli sauce with it? Oh, sure, why not? Brighten up anybody's Absolutely. day. Yeah, it gives you a lovely kick, you know, wake you up. Look at that for a beaut. Perfectly poached again. That lovely soft centre and the white is perfectly done on the outside. And there's only one thing to do. Little tip of chilli on it there and let's have a taste. The chilli gives it a lovely kick, doesn't Isn't it? Isn't it gorgeous? I love that chilli sauce. Really fresh, you know. It's it's like a homemade chilli sauce, really. And then the poached egg itself, you know, is so kind of jammy almost, isn't it? The ah, yolk yeah. there, yeah. yeah. It's lovely. It's a really nice way to... And like this, not, again, nothing nasty in there. I do love a fried egg as well. But when I'm just making an effort to be a little bit healthier, I go with the poached. The poached is the one. Stay with us on Late Lunch. It's a brand new series for 2020 on Late Lunch with Tara Walker from East Coast Cookery School. It's back to basics. And today... The good old Guggy Egg. Stay with us. Welcome back to East Coast Cookery School. It's Back to Basics with Tara Walker for 2020. Today it's eggs. Tara has delivered the most beautiful soft-boiled egg, a wonderful poached egg. Now we're moving to the scrambled. Yes, one of the things my daughter and I have almost every morning before school. So I have a couple of eggs in a jug here. And instead of whisking with a whisk, I'm using an, a, a fork because I don't want it completely, like say if I was doing a custard or something, I don't want it completely whisked together. I want to still be able to sort of see lines of the yolk through the white, if you get me. And my pan is here, medium-sized non-stick pan. And just a nice generous knob of butter going onto the pan. And when it foams, I'm going to just pop the, the scrambled egg in there. And I'm not, as I say, it's not really, really hot. It's just a medium heat. And you can see the butter is kind of foaming there. And in I go with my eggs. And then I use a rubber spatula. I just find it is better than or a silicone spatula. It just doesn't break up the eggs too much. So I'm going to just stir fairly casually. But gently. And the heat under that pan is medium? Medium, yeah, medium. So you just, uh, a real hot pan, if you had that roasting hot, you wouldn't scramble them properly? Well, you would. It's just that it can go overcooked very quickly mm. and then they're a bit dry, whereas I don't want them to dry. So I'm just taking a little bit of extra time to do it properly. You know on that television show in the UK where they test the chefs as they come on to see who can do the omelette quickest? Yes, yeah, I, I've actually done that myself on TV3 once. Uh, yeah, not, not the best quality, <laughs> no. So look, can you see, it's starting to solidify a little bit at the bottom. So I'm using my spatula to take those bits from the bottom up and keep it moving around. And actually, now I'm going to turn the heat off on my pan and I'm going to season it generously with some black pepper and a little bit of Malden sea salt. I like the little crunch from that. And one last mix and out onto the plate. That is the most rapid scrambled egg. I, I, I know you mentioned, I mentioned about the TV chefs and that, and that's only seconds. But that really has been quick there. That was. Yeah, no, scrambled egg is very fast. And that's partly why it's one of the things we have before school every morning, because it's such a quick one to do, you know. Lovely. And, you know, when you see it on the plate there, it is just cooked. Now, it's cooked, but just cooked. Exactly. And like the thing is, it keeps on cooking on the plate. So that's why it was ever like ever so slightly undercooked when I took it off the pan. But by the time you get it onto the plate and you serve it, it'll be cooked. 
and I can tell you there's only a couple of yards from Tara's cooker to the table here and that is a fact. It is just after cooking in that little distance as she lifted it from the pan to uh, the plate here. So let's have a little taste of the scrambled egg. It just reminds you of how simple and gorgeous it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's lovely and like it is solid. There's no kind of raw egg there, but it's quite... um, it's quite soft and fluffy. Um, and if you have the pan too hot, it's hard to achieve that. Lovely, lovely. So scrambled, done and dusted. And we're going to round off our Back to Basics eggs today with Tara Walker at East Coast Cookery School with a classic omelette. Yes. So I'm going to do an omelette. I have, again, a nice nonstick pan here. And I'm just going to pop a little bit of butter and I love omelettes, I have to say. I would make them regularly for my lunch. And what I do is I just look in, because I work from home, if it's a day where I'm just doing a bit of admin, I just look in the fridge, see what little odds and ends I have, and I throw them in. If I'm doing something maybe for a lunch, if a friend was coming over, I love doing this particular one with um, courgette, feta and mint, which is really tasty, more like a frittata, I suppose I would do for that. And you can serve it up in little slices. And that's a really nice thing to do that's just a bit more elegant. Mushroom, ham and cheese I'm putting in today. But like uh, just whatever bits you have, I often throw a few slices of pepper in there. If you caramelise a little bit of an onion first in the pan and then add your egg, it's absolutely delicious. Just go with some herbs for an omelette au fine herbe, which is a classic French dish, you know. Um, so there's so many lovely things you can do with an omelette. Like it's so handy. And I think herbs work really nicely if you can. I'm going pretty basic and I have a little bit of butter and I put a tiny bit of rapeseed oil in there because I want to just fry up some mushrooms first of all. And over here in my jug, I'm just going to break a couple of eggs. Obviously, you can do as many as you want here because it just depends on how many people. But we've had quite a lot of eggs today, Jerry, so I'm just going to put two in for now. And again, just like I did with the scrambled egg, not mixing this too, too thoroughly, just with a fork quite lightly whisking together. So the mushrooms have softened and caramelised a little bit there in the pan. Yeah, so I've had the heat fairly low on the pan there because I don't want the pan getting kind of too smoky or anything because I'm putting my egg in now in a sec. Um, But they've just softened nicely and they're nice and kind of golden brown on the outside. So here I go now with my couple of eggs. So you just fire the eggs in on the pan there with the mushrooms. Exactly. And here we go. Just get all of that egg out. And I have, again, a little silicone spatula, which is a great man for, uh, you know, handling the eggs because it's nice and soft. And I'm just tilting the pan here, making sure that the egg's coating the pan. So it's spread out into a nice circular shape. Then I use my spatula just to go around the edges to keep it from sticking to the pan. And again, I'm on a medium heat here, not too hot. And then I'm going to sprinkle in my ham and my cheese just to warm it through more than, you know, cook it or anything like that. So basically, any omelette you're making, if there's something you need to cook with it, so if you're doing like the courgette, feta, mint, when I said the courgette would be in the pan, caramelising nicely before you add the egg in. If you wanted to do some, sorry, shallots or onions, you would caramelise those nicely in the pan first, and then you add the ingredients that don't need to be cooked after you've put the egg in. And a little sprinkling of cheese. I don't go too crazy on the cheese, it makes it very heavy. But this would be a very average lunch for me that I would have sitting at the desk. Great way to have loads of protein, it's really tasty and it keeps you going for ages. Great. And this doesn't take long either there, it's minutes really. Exactly. And just what we're doing there is just trying to make sure the bottom of the pan is nice, you know, that the omelette is not sticking to the pan. So I'm just running my spatula around the edge a couple of times to make sure it doesn't stick. So you've just left it a little more there on the pan with a medium heat 
beneath it and it looks like it's nearly ready now to go to its final stage. Exactly. So I've just put a little bit of salt and pepper on and I'm going to flip one side over into the centre. So it's like in threes, basically. Now, look, it doesn't really matter. It's going to be delicious either way. But just I usually flip one side over into the centre and then the other side over. And then you just get that nice presentation and then you can pop it out onto your plate. Voila! (laughs) (laughs) There it is. You just have that nicer sort of shape of presentation. But obviously for eating at home, you don't really need to do that. Well, you've taught me today because I always try to flip in a half moon shape. Just one flip, but the two into the centre with one side and then from the other side, it looks lovely. Yeah, and also it's actually harder to get out of the pan in one piece if, mm. you're, if you have a really big lump and it's in half, whereas this way it's a bit thinner and it's easier to slide out onto the plate. Certainly is. The things you pick up from this wonderful woman at East Coast Cookery School. And what I'm going to pick up now is a little bit of this omelette and give it a taste and see what I think of it. So here I have a piece with mushrooms with egg and with cheese and ham. It's all here. Let me have a little taste of this. Oh, it's piping hot. What can I say? An absolute winner. Good. And you can see the colour on the outside. It's quite set on the outside, but soft and fluffy in the centre and very, very quick to do. And as I say, you can play around with loads of different ideas. Spinach and goat cheese are lovely in it as well to make it a little bit more elegant. The feta, courgette mint, herbs really work well. Loads of different herbs, especially, you know, the likes of your mint, parsley, basil, all of those work really nicely in, a, in an omelette. Terrific, Tara. No excuses now, folks. You have it. The first basic ingredient of the year, eggs. So many ways. Tara, thanks a million for taking us back to basics at East Coast Cookery School today. You're very welcome, Jerry. Great to see you as always. Big day at Gleason's Butchers in Navin Town Centre tomorrow. One lucky customer is going to win a trip to New York, all expenses paid. And there's still time to get your name into the draw before 12 noon tomorrow. So you can get into Gleason's, get your name in the draw and you could win that trip to New York. Still time, folks. And today on Late Lunch, I have a 20 euro voucher for Gleason's. Oh, you'll get a little dinner out of that for sure and more. If you'd like to win this voucher, here's the question. One of the main ingredients in black pudding that also gives it... It's colour. What am I talking about? What's the answer to that question? Get your answers in now to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Now, Barbara Scully is a brilliant writer and broadcaster and she's a lady we've been talking to on Late Lunch from time to time since last autumn when she was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Now, I think the last time we spoke before the end of the year, she was going along rightly, but maybe teethered and a little on the brink, sticking to the new regime. Well, she's back with us today and she has a major announcement to make. Barbara Scully, welcome back to Late Lunch. Stand by your radios. <laughs> How are How you? Are How are you doing? Sure, I'm great. I'm great altogether. How are you? I'm great, but you do have news for us. Yeah, um, yesterday, well, as you said, I was diagnosed back in the middle of August of last year and I was overweight. I had a sedentary lifestyle. I wouldn't have thought I was that unhealthy, but I was clearly in denial about the fact that, yeah, I was overweight and I, I was very unfit. Um, so I guess I wasn't hugely surprised um, to land myself a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. Anyway, as you said, um, I was told I needed to lose weight, obviously cut out sugar in my diet, overhaul my lifestyle completely. But I was also put on medication, which I wasn't entirely happy about. Um, so two weeks in, uh, no, it was a month in, when I got linked in with the diabetic clinic in Dunleary, I asked if I could try coming off the medication and just doing it myself through diet and, and mm. lifestyle. And so they'd been monitoring my blood since then and were happy for me to continue on. 
but I had my first visit with the consultant yesterday, um, where I have to say I was a bit nervous uh, because although I had been reasonably good and I have lost coming up on two stone, um, I, I, Christmas had come in the way. My birthday was at the beginning of this month. Both times I'd broken the rules a little bit. Now, I didn't go mad. A little bit, and I was afraid that, you know, I'd get a bit of a lecture. But in fact, I got very good news in that I have managed in five months to put my diabetes into remission, which means that my blood, my blood sugar level is now normal. Um, and that's really important. So I was delighted with myself yesterday. Absolutely thrilled to bits with myself. Can I do um, this for a second? Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, um, no, I was really pleased. And uh, it doesn't mean, obviously, unfortunately, it doesn't mean that I can go back to being the cake queen mm. and, and um, uh, dessert diva that I was beforehand. It means I've got to stick with my regime, which is uh, very little sugar in my diet and exercise every day. Um but if I do that, my blood sugar levels should continue to be normal. And that's really important. And, and that's really why I think, you know, I, I have talked about the diabetes a lot and I've written about it in the Irish Independent and I'll be writing about it again in the next uh, week or so. I think people very often don't realise with diabetes, there's um, there's not really any symptoms. There's not any major symptoms. So if you get a diagnosis, you're aware that it's something to do with having too much sugar in your blood. But sure, can't you take medication for that? And people think that that's grand. And it is grand. But if you don't, control your lifestyle, um, the sugar in your blood is actually damaging your organs. And so if you continue to eat sugar, um, you are got, your blood has too much sugar in it and your organs will get damaged, specifically your heart, your kidneys, your eyesight and your feet. And I mean, I can, you know, people have lost limbs uh, because they haven't taken yes. care of their diabetes. And I often think that people don't take diabetes seriously enough. It isn't a life-threatening disease, but it is a life-changing disease. And it's great that it's one that you can impact yourself. But it is, and it's not easy, but it is important. And it's great that it, you can bring yourself back to having blood sugars in a normal range, which, you know, is great. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased. It's all good news. I call it a little uh, number there that's very important. The number two, and it goes along with the word stone. You're yeah. down two full stone. There has to be another big benefit in this. The wardrobe. The wardrobe has to be revamped, has it? <laughs> well, do you know something that's strange? I mean, weight loss is a funny thing. Like, number one, I can't think I always thought that once I really genuinely, which I'd never really done before, made an effort, that it would be this continuous decline in your weight. And it's not. You lose a bit and then you plateau for a bit and then you might put up a little bit and then you lose another bit and you plateau another bit. But, yeah, I mean, once I got to kind of over a stone, yeah, I did start to look different. And um, I started to feel different about my body. And I would have always said to you before, Jerry, I was the absolute embodiment, pardon the pun, of body positivity. I was like, this is me. I don't care. I'm yeah, happy with how I am. But in actual fact, I realised that a lot of the clothes I wore were obviously designed not to kind of show all the bits that were were, were hanging out and sticking out where they shouldn't stick <laughs> out. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't quite revamped the wardrobe, but I'm getting there. So oh. I'm buying different shaped clothes, which is great. <laughs> I'm no longer looking for something that has to cover my huge bum and cover my huge stomach. You know, I can kind of go for things that are a little bit more... 
uh, well, they're a little bit smaller, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so that, that is great. It is great. It is wonderful. And it's another Brucey bonus aside to Absolutely. the serious matter of your health. Now, one thing you did mention, and I just wanted to bring this up while we're talking, because I've been following you. I've been keeping a good eye on you, you see, and so has our Louise. People have been great. You yeah, mightn't think so, but we, we, we have. But you, you know what you say? Look, we have to do it for ourselves. And I, that's the message you've been getting across to us since we spoke about this initially. But you were saying that, look, we could do a little more support. What are you, what are you specifically talking about there? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I, I do. Again, it's our health service, which is very patchy in areas. Um, in other words, when I got diagnosed originally, I was diagnosed by my GP, who's a lovely man. And I have a great time for him. And, he's, and we get on very well. But I walked out of the surgery with just a phone number and my prescription for my medication. And it was, I never got any folder of information. I never really got any pointers. The phone number, the phone number was for the HSE where I was to link into this workshop that they do in the community, um, which would have been fine, except that my next workshop, and this was middle of August, my next workshop was the middle of October. And I know myself well enough at 58 years of age to know that if I was going to wait to do anything about changing my lifestyle till October, the shock of the diagnosis would have worn off. And I would have gone, yeah, sure, I'm diabetic, but sure, I'm grand. I'm taking my medication and I'm grand. I knew I needed to immediately take this seriously. And the problem was I was thrown back on my own resources um, in order to try and find out what do I need to do? How do I need to change my diet? I mean, giving up sugar is one thing, but I never understood, for example, the relationship between carbohydrate and sugar. And although I did eat a lot of sugar, because as I mentioned, I like to bake and I love my cakes and I love my scones and I love all that stuff. But I also love carbohydrates. And because I had a very sedentary lifestyle, I was eating way too much carbs. And if you're eating a lot of carbohydrate and you're not using it up in activity, it turns into sugar. Your body converts it into sugar. And that was, I think, a huge part of my problem. But it was hard to work out all of that. And in the beginning, it was quite overwhelming because it boils down to what can I bloody well have for my breakfast? Like, what am I meant to be eating here? Um, and luckily, a friend of mine um, who is also diabetic she uh, told me to get myself referred to the diabetic uh, clinic in, in Dunleary, which I did. And I'm lucky that I have, not everybody probably has, a diabetic clinic in their local hospital. And they were terrific because that links you in with a dietitian um, who I spent a whole morning with a group of people down there. And she talked through everything and was there to answer questions. Um, and also it meant then that I had the email address of a diabetic nurse so that if I had a query, I could... I could email her and I would get a response the next day. It's that kind of support, which I found by accident, is really, really vital. Because obviously from the health service point of view, if more people take either the, you know, because I know a lot of people go to their doctors having routine bloods and they're told, oh, you're pre-diabetic, you need to watch it. But if people don't watch it and they go on to become diabetic, they're potentially cost, costing the health service a lot of money because you're on medications mm. and you may have further complications down the line. So really the trick here is to get more people to take it seriously. That diabetes is a serious disease. But the good news is it is one that you can impact yourself. And it's one that you can, they, they don't say, they don't use the word reverse, but you can put it into remission. Um, and that's really good news. But I do think that a lot of people just don't take it seriously enough because of the lack of symptoms until it becomes too late. Um, and if there's any message I want to get across, it's that. And, I mean, you mentioned the clothes and all the rest, and that's great. But the biggest bonus that I have had from all of this is the fact that I feel younger. I was starting to experience 
things like arthritis in my knees, arthritis in one of my hips, which I was putting down to getting older. And it wasn't. It was getting fatter. It wasn't getting older. (laughs) So by losing weight, my body is way happier, way happier. Um, My knees don't hurt anymore. My ankles don't hurt anymore. I don't worry if I'm sitting on a low chair that I'm never going to be able to get out of it, which I did before. All of which I thought was because I was getting older and it wasn't. It was because I was too fat and I was putting my body under too much pressure. Um, And if there's one other thing that I've learned is that our bodies naturally actually want to be healthy and they naturally want, they could, we have a huge potential inside us to heal ourselves of various things. And once you give your body what it needs, which is exercise and which is nutritious food in moderation, your body does the rest. And that has been, I mean, I sound like, I sound like, you know, I don't know what I sound like, but, um, that is amazing. Mm. I think that is absolutely amazing that your body does want to work properly wow. and well. And we, you know, all the times that I sat on the sofa having like a slice of cake with my cup of tea, thinking I was being really nice to myself and kind to myself, I was actually not. I was actually damaging my body. And that's that kind of, it took me a while to get my head around that. I did have a quite a, a load of guilt at one stage that I'd done this to myself. Because I'm aware that other people get diagnoses that are way more serious than diabetes and that they can't impact themselves. Um, but diabetes is one that it has to be taken seriously, mm. but it can be managed. And it's it's difficult, but it's not impossible. Not and, you know, at all. Not at all. And you're, you're the real example of that, I have to say, Barbara, as well. And what you say there are powerful words. Look, I have to leave it there for the day. We'll keep an eye on you. Oh, and nice I, I just, yeah. absolutely, and I just want to finish off by saying, you've been listening on Late Lunch this afternoon to Ireland's latest poster girl. Yes, <laughs> Miss Barbara Scully. And read it in the Irish Independent soon. Barbara, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Isn't she wonderful? Yes, she's simply wonderful and she's a great example 58 years young and she's flying again Barbara can do it so can you and I as you may have heard in our news today the High Court has quashed a ruling by on board Penala regarding the Narconon Drug Rehabilitation Centre in Beliver County Meath in a judicial review taken by Narconon Trust Mr Justice Mark Heslin has overturned the Planning Appeal Board's decision in 2018 and ruled that Narconon did not need planning permission for change of use into the centre at the old school at Beliver. And joining me on the line is uh, Clara O'Mara, who's a member of the Beliver community group. Good afternoon, Claire. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you feeling about this decision? Oh, I'm very disappointed, to be honest with you. I'm uh, Straight up, I'm gutted. Really am. Now, we were hoping for a better outcome this morning there in the High Court, but... It wasn't to be, and uh, Judge Heslin had his, his own views, and unfortunately he ruled in favour of Narconon. And now, as you let this news uh, sink in, is this the end of the road? Absolutely not. No way. We, uh, we still have a, a couple of things up our sleeves that we can, we can press forward with, and we just need some more confirmation from some of the solicitors that we've been dealing with. Um, certainly not the end of the road. We have a lot of fight left in us and we still say no. Beliver still says no. They're not welcome and they're not wanted in our, our village. Why are you so dead set against them? Narconon is not a legislated uh, drug rehabilitation centre in Ireland. They 
don't provide, in my opinion, they don't provide the adequate care that a drug user needs. They don't have the structures in place to provide them with aftercare as well. Um, I don't believe in the way that they treat drug addicts. They do cold turkey, as you want to call it. So if you have a drug addict and he's come off heroin, um, you can imagine the side effects, uh, increased heart rate, headaches, sweats, especially with the headaches now. You're not even allowed so much as a paracetamol. For the headache. Yeah, yeah, but I suppose I have to I have to be fair to them and say, Claire, you know, there are different ways of, of tackling this is- issue. And I do want to just remind you, and, and you did say that is your personal opinion, um, that Narconon is a drug-free drug and alcohol rehabilitation programme with proven success, operating for more than 50 years across 18 countries around the world, including the UK, where Narconon has been registered as a charity since 1974. And it's important that we say that and that we understand that as well. But uh, your views are your personal views, but I want to say that in defence of them. So, look, the, the feeling is on the ground that this fight carries on. That's the bottom line here. Absolutely, yeah. We're not giving up. We're definitely not giving up. OK, thank you for joining me on the show today. I have a statement from them and I'm going to read it now. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Bye. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Now, we have been in touch with Narcan and invited them onto the show. They can have their say, but they've issued this statement, which we're happy to do and to read it out as well. Uh, Narcanon welcomes the decision in which Mr Justice Mark Heslin stated that he considered it necessary to grant an order by way of judicial review quashing the decisions made by the board on the 19th of November 2018 whereby the board purported to decide that the change of use from a nursing home development to residential drug rehabilitation facility permitted by Mead County Council is development and is not exempted development. That's the key point. Knocking on executives and staff are looking forward to helping Ireland fight the scourge of addiction in a country where the drug crisis is exploding with 65% of Irish professionals reporting some addiction experience, effective drug rehabilitation is urgently needed. And we're, we're, we're absolutely delighted to have a statement from them and to read it to you today so as you can hear the other side as well. So that's uh, news just breaking. In the last couple of hours or so, watch this space. You hear from the... Uh, the people there in Beliver, the community group that they intend fighting on. But that's the decision of uh, the High Court today. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Now, competitions. Louise, Tommy Fleming first. Let's mention Tommy. He's coming with his wonderful show to the Knightsbrook Hotel this Sunday, the 26th of January. And he's in the TLT, let me tell you, this night week, the 31st. But we're talking about Sunday, this one on Sunday, the uh, 26th. We have two pair of tickets to give away and to the winners as well. You're going to get a copy of the new Voice of Hope CD and the DVD set. It's a lovely prize. So the question was, in which year was Tommy Fleming born? 1970, 71 or 72? And the answer is... 1971. The middle one. 71 is the answer. Thanks to everybody who's WhatsApped or texters. You have a winner there. Who, who's getting a pair of tickets on uh-huh. your side? One of the... Pairs is going to Tommy Bushell and Ritoth. Well done well to done. you, Tommy. So that's that concert this Sunday. You'll love it in the Knightsbrook. There's still a few tickets available there for Tommy if you'd like to go along. And I have a winner here as well. A pair of tickets going to Carol Morris from Carneros Kells. Well done to you, 71. You got the answer right as well. 
Um, now, we have another competition on the go for Gleeson's Butchers. I'll give you another couple of moments. Actually, the, the uh, answers are just bombing in to us here uh, by text and WhatsApp as well. Gleeson's are having their big draw tomorrow in Navin Shopping Centre for that all-expenses-paid trip to New York City. The Big Apple, you love it, I promise you. You can still get into the draw 12 noon tomorrow. If you get into Gleeson's, you can enter. And we have the draw here and all the fun and the crack from Gleeson's on LMFM Radio tomorrow, uh, Saturday. So if you uh, want to uh, get in there now, do that as soon as you can. I have a €20 voucher to give away to Gleeson's today. Here's the question. Black pudding. What's the main ingredient? It gives it its colour as well. Answers to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text and we'll pick a winner before 3.30. Friday afternoon, late lunch, LMFM radio. Time to look ahead to the big sporting action of the weekend. And GAA is back. Yes, the National League start this weekend and there's big games in the FA Cup across the water. The man to run the rule over them is Leon Blanche, communications manager from Boyle Sports. Good afternoon, Leon. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks again for joining us. Well, GAA is back and Meath are back in Division 1 and they have some mouthwatering match to begin. Yeah, look, I'm delighted for me them in terms of getting back up to Division 1, Jerry. I think overall, last year you could see signs of improvement. They were sticking with some of the big teams up until around the 50-55th minute mark and I think playing Division 1 week in, week out should certainly bring the Royals on a bit. And look, it's a tricky game. Um, away against Tyrone, there's no surprise. Tyrone are the big, strong favourites at three to ten. Mead are seven to two, and the draw here is nine to one. Look, you would expect Tyrone; they've started well. They're at home. You'd expect them to win, but I'm not really too concerned about the result for Mead. It's more the performance, and I think the management uh, committee and selection team will be looking for that as well. Look, it's a big step up, but this is where you want to be. You want to be playing with the big boys, but unfortunately, I think they will start off with a defeat away against Tyrone. The other big game in Division 1, before we look at Loud's prospects this weekend, is a repeat of the All-Ireland final. It's Dublin against Kerry and, of course, Dubs with a new man at the helm. Yeah, look, a new man at the helm in Desi Farrell. He does know a lot of these players. He managed them at minor. He managed them at 21. I think the big, big plus for Desi Farrell was that Stephen Cluxon decided to stay on. He won't be playing, probably for the majority of the league campaign. However, just having him around the squad is a huge plus after losing Jim Gavin. There's no doubt in most Dubs fans, and I'm one of them, is that Stephen Cluxon is the manager on the field. So certainly having him around the camp is a big plus. However, I think Kerry will be a little bit ahead of Dublin at this stage. The Dubs are slight favourites at 10 to 11. Kerry 6 to 5, and the draw here is 15 to 2. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a very close game, Jerry, but I do think the Kingdom, Kerry, will come out on top in Crow Park tomorrow night. So 6 to 5, Kerry to win for me. The other local county in action at the weekend, and I want to say again, both games are on Sunday, the Mead and Loud games, and we have them live here on LMFM Radio. But Loud in Division 3, last year, they almost were promoted in the heel of the hunt. They remained in Division 3, and this division, Leon, is a dog-eat-dog competitive division this year. It certainly is, Jerry. but I hope that the Wee County take a lot of confidence from their performance last year. They'll be looking to try and get promoted this time around and I think they've got a fabulous chance of doing so just a tricky opening game away against Longford but louder as big as 2-1 to one to win away from home Longford are 1-2 to two, and the draw here is 15-2 to two. I think there's not a lot between these sides I think if you're looking at the betting I think Loud represent value they're well capable of putting up a decent score and I'm actually fancying Loud to kick their Division 3 campaign off with a very hard fought win but I think they're well capable of doing so 
Now let's go across the water and look at soccer and this weekend it's the FA Cup and the tie of the round is undoubtedly Southampton at home to Tottenham Hotspur and Spurs. It's probably the most realistic chance of silverware this year but this is a really tough tie. It's a very, very tough tie. You'd have to say the way Southampton are playing at the moment, they're playing a lot of attractive attacking football. They're scoring goals. Great from an Irish perspective that Obafemi and Shane Long are in amongst the starting eleven. If not, they're certainly on the bench. Shane scored a couple of games ago. And Southampton at home against Spurs, who just at the minute, they're struggling. I know they scored a couple of goals to get a much-needed victory in their last Premier League game. But without Harry Kane, they're certainly lacking that out-and-out proven goal scorer. So for me, Southampton at home at 17-10, to 10, Spurs are 6-4, to four, and the draw here, Jerry, is 9-4. to four. I'm going to go with Southampton to knock Jose out of the FA Cup. Of the other kind of big games, could there be a shock? Tranmere at home against Manchester United. All the pressure is on Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. The board have backed him. That could be the kiss of death. They're 2-5. Tranmere is big as 13 to 2, and the draw here just under 4 to 1. Look, United should win, but I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think the other intriguing tie is the last game of the FA Cup this weekend Bournemouth against Arsenal. Bournemouth, a much needed win in the Premier League against Brighton. That'll give them plenty of confidence. They're 3 to 1, Arsenal 20 to 23, and the draw here is 5 to 2. Mikel Arteta has done well without winning too many matches. I thought they were fabulous with 10 men away against Chelsea. But I think there'll be plenty of goals in this one and maybe Arsenal to win and both teams to score. Leon, as usual, thank you so much. Appreciate you joining us on Late Lunch today and we'll talk to you again in seven days' time. Have a great weekend, Jerry. All the best. While we're on the uh, sporting theme, 18 months ago, their pitch disappeared. They were relegated from senior football. Who am I talking about? Maharatloon Mitchells. What a story they are, because tomorrow they run out in Croke Park. What a feeling that's going to be for the players and supporters to take on Uchterard in the club intermediate final, the intermediate championship final for the country. Maharatloon in the final. I want to wish them well. They've come through an awful lot. And I just love to see them win tomorrow. The very best wishes to them. And they hope they bring home the silverware to Monaghan tomorrow evening. Now, competitions on late lunch today. Gleason's Butchers. Remember, you can still enter the New York all-expenses-paid trip competition by dropping in and getting your entry in by 12 noon tomorrow. I have a voucher to give away today. The question was, one of the main ingredients in black pudding that also gives it is colour. What is it? What was I looking for there? Pig's blood was the answer. And Caroline Kane from Mandistown, you win that voucher on late lunch today. Well done to you. Uh, and uh, the Tony McCaw, yes, the competition that Michael mentioned there on sport, uh, the horse uh, called Champ was named after Tony McCoy, the great Tony McCoy, the jockey. And tickets for the race meetings going to Amanda Hand and Iris McDade this afternoon. Well done to you and everybody who sent us in answers there. And just before we head to the final break of the day on late lunch, uh, we were talking at the top of the show to Brendan Cusack and Hugh O'Reilly about the shocking uh, days they put in during the week between uh, lifting their children from bed early in the morning, going to work and not getting home till all hours. Uh, we've had a lovely message in that says, Hi, Jerry. Childcare costs are so expensive. Commuting expensive. Stay at home. Mind your children and spend quality time with them during the most important period of their lives. Make sacrifices. So many have fancy cars, phones, tablets, broadband, TV, etc. with the huge payments and subscriptions that come with them. 
it's easier to go to work than mind your own children for some people. That's the biggest problem. And that comes in from a late lunch listener this afternoon. You make valid points, but look, in other cases, there aren't all those luxuries. People are just surviving, paying the mortgage and working hard to do that. Keep the roof over their heads, pay their utility bills. But I hear what you're saying. And it's something I'm going to take up this day week with our Women With Opinions. We're going to talk about this in a week's time on Late Lunch. Final break of the day. And afterwards, did you realise that the incidence of mumps in Ireland is rapidly on the rise. We're going to chat about it next. Big jump. Listen to the numbers. 2018, 573 cases in Ireland. Last year, 2019, 2,762. Should we be alarmed with the uh, rise in mumps? Dr Keith Ian Quintine is on the line. He's a consultant in public health medicine. Dr Keith, good afternoon to you. To yourself, your listeners, and a happy new year. And thank you for joining me on the show. What's underpinning this rise? Um, it's a multifactorial situation, and I think there's a little bit to do with the fact that we have falling numbers in in individuals who are who are, who are having the appropriate vaccination levels. Um, I think you've heard of something called herd immunity, and whereby we require a significant portion of the population to be vaccinated. About The threshold is set at about 95%. And over the last five to 10 years, particularly in the Northeast, we've seen ongoing falls in that level of vaccination, uh, those childhood vaccinations, basically. And it kind of like starts to lend itself to a perfect storm. The, the threshold starts to fall below what's considered acceptable to keep outbreaks at bay. And, you know, you know how it is. Things are circulating within the environment, and mm. then it 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 catches on. It and it's sometimes hard to quell once it gets going. Unfortunately, yeah, people have uh, joined this debate whether to or not the MMR vaccination that uh, children should get at ba- uh, as babies. And of course, you people in the health service are pushing it, and uh, we've been onto it here as well, trying to help you to raise awareness and and encourage people to have this done so the, the fall off is the reason now what's the it's danger the factors yeah yeah Sorry. is it the main factor i th- i i th- I think I think it it it's one of the major contributing factors to it. I think people have growing. Con- I mean, the internet is there, kind of like with anything. And I think people go and they they go there for sources of information. Mm. And sometimes when you go out and you look for sources of information, you're not always getting it from the most credible of sources. Okay. And I think we're more informed than we were, say, ten or fifteen years ago about a lot of things. And you know, sometimes if you're getting information from a less than credible source, and you know, your people, some people might be inclined to agree with it and believe it and then they make life-altering decisions in terms of potentially not getting their kids vaccinated you know and that can have a knock-on effect unfortunately so the implications of not getting vaccinated for a child and they get mumps what could happen well i mean you know i mean it can be very it can be a very simple and limiting self-limiting illness for most individuals and that's certainly something I can highlight to yourself but a small minority of individuals like you know there's increased risk of getting stuff like viral meningitis which is which is a bit of a bad infection uh, on the brain tissue and about 15 out of 100 individuals who suffer with who come down with mumps can suffer that 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 ill consequence there's the issue of, of, of young men in particular suffering with something called orchitis where they get terrible inflammation of their testes and that can subsequently lead to long-term fertility issues in men. Um, you know, and you know, there's also the risk of people developing worsening brain disease like encephalitis and then 
it's a bit of a rare complication, but certainly some of our ENT colleagues have noted increasing reports of individuals suffering from deafness or loss of hearing, loss of hearing following an infection of mumps. So it can have lasting consequences for individuals. How does it present? How will I know I have mumps? Well, it, it, the symptoms of mumps, um, they can be very, very vague or very nonspecific in terms of their onset, so a fever, headache, malaise. And then they can be more specific symptoms like swelling and tenderness around your salivary gland. So particularly people get that chipmunk appearance where they get swelling on both sides of their face. There's a, the jawline of the salivary gland. And that, that's, that's the mainstay of the symptoms that people will present with. I mean, the, swell, the, the bilateral neck swelling is the, the most common most common um, symptom that um, members of the public um, will recognise mm. in that regard. How long will it last for? What should I do to cope with it? Well, in terms of if you do come down with those symptoms, we would recommend um, self, well, not going to work, you know, not going to school in those cases, certainly for about five to seven days after the, particularly the presentation of this swelling, the bilateral swelling, to kind of like, Keep yourself away from going, your kids from going to school. Like yourself, you wouldn't be coming into work and in, in interacting with other individuals, particularly individuals who mightn't, you're, you're unaware of their own vaccine status. So you want to kind of like impose a bit of solitude for yourself for five to seven days or five to seven days for your kids. If I'm an adult and I haven't had the vaccine and I know I haven't had it, it's never too late. You can have it at any stage, I take it, of your life. Yes, you, yes, you can have it at any stage, basically. And we have linked and reached with our, our, our colleagues in general practice and primary care to certainly facilitate, you know, given the fact we know there's an ongoing outbreak within the community to, you know, to admin, you know, to deliver that vaccine to, you know, there's, there, there, there's provider for delivery of the vaccine in that regard. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Sound advice. Thank you very much. Have a lovely weekend. You too. Thanks Bye. indeed. That's Dr. Keith Ian Quintine there, uh, consultant in public health medicine, joining us just to highlight the fact that the incidence of mumps are way up in Ireland 2018 to 2019. And that trend, you know, upward spiral will more, more than likely continue this year. Get your children the MMR. If you haven't got it yourself, go get it done. Because, look, many people, as the doctor says, deal with it. But there are a number of cases where it has life-changing consequences. That's a lot on Late Lunch for this Friday afternoon. Thank you so much for your company right through the week. We really appreciate you being with us every day. Thanks to Louise, my producer. Couldn't do it without. I say it every week and I mean it sincerely. To our guests who joined us this week, all our contributors... We are really appreciative. Up next on the uh, radio on LMFM is Eddie Caffrey uh, with The Drive. We'll be back, please God, on Monday with another week of late lunch from half past one. Have a lovely weekend. Take care of yourselves. See you Monday. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to smile with the best deals on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 